are listening to LP Uncovered, a music podcast hosted by myself, Lauren Plant. On this episode, I chat with the wonderful Canadian singer-songwriter I as we uncover his new album, Prospect. Following on from his albums, we made it through the wreckage and in our time, numerous gigs around the world and performances at many iconic venues. I is back with his brand new album. So let's uncover I's Prospect. Well, welcome to LP Uncovered. Hi. Hello. How's it going? Going great. How are you doing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm really good. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast to uncover your brand new album, Prospect. I've got to say huge congratulations on such like a beautiful, intimate, reflective, raw album. Um, how has it been putting out probably one of your most honest works to date? It's been, it's been amazing. Um, when I started writing this record... I had a bunch of different songs that I anticipated being on this record. And then the lockdowns happened, um, pandemic happened, and it kind of allowed me to go back into some of these songs and write some new songs. And it made me dig a little deeper. Like some of the songs that were left off are great songs, but like it, it allowed me to say, if this was like the last record I was able to put out, what would I want to say and how do I want to say it? You know what I mean? And I just mm. went a little deeper, you know, a little more into my, my heart, I guess. And not to say I didn't do that in my last records. I've done it on every record, yeah. but there was something, you know, where I just reflected into myself a little bit and say, okay, what do you need? You know, a lot of the times I always write music about what my audience, about what I need, but I think, you know, I went even deeper on this one and just kind of said, okay, all right. This is this is what I want to get out for this record. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Where does the whole concept of prospect come from? It's one of those like you know, it's like an onion. You 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 have an idea, and then you start peeling back the layers of what this idea meant. So at the beginning, prospect was is, is the title track on the record. So just basic basic off of that, it became the one that stood out to me as the title track of the album first. Prospect, the song, it's talking about legacy and how our foreparents, our ancestors impact our lives in ways we don't understand how I'd, I've never met my grandparents. And if I did, I was too young to remember. But then there's a line on it that says, you know, it's a trip how someone you never knew can be buried in your DNA. Their attributes are, they live on through even me, vice versa. I guess not really vice versa, but continuing on my attributes will live through my children. So I look at that in terms of just how, our lives we're sitting in the middle of like the beginning and end like so all my four parents before me i'm right at the center of them and all the children that will come after me yeah. and my what i do in my life it doesn't impact my four parents so much because they're they're gone but maybe the things that they did like i'm supposed to be building on that mm -hmm. to help my children so my children's children's children so it's it's a fascinating idea that Imagine living your life in a way where you where you can just like see a like in the ethers, I guess, like uh, a bleachers or stands of all your foreparents rooting you on, saying, "Let's go, let's go, Lord, let's go, I, you can do it, come on, you know, just to do one little like just to release this record, you know what I mean? Yeah. And then watching your children, they're just rely, just staring in your eyes, just like waiting for you to just accomplish everything you can in life. So we don't usually live our lives like that. We live our lives like on a day to day, get the job. You know what I mean? And nothing against having a job, obviously. Um, live nine to five, pay the bills, make sure like, you know, but if we live with that richness of life and understanding that like what you're doing is a part of something bigger than yourself, that's how kind of prospect kind of mm -hmm. unfolded to me in so many ways in this, on this record that I didn't realize, like I'm a very spiritual person and I go with like intuition a lot. So I knew that the record was what it, the, the title of the record was what it was like prospect is a title that never changed even though the album the album cover changed like in the last days before i had to send it out for manufacturing but the title never changed and it's beautiful to see the title take on new meaning as the album comes out as more people hear the songs as people message me so it's yeah it's fascinating well, talking of the album cover work i have lp uncovered i have 
the album right here. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I love it. And it feels very potent that this is uh, out of your albums, the first time that you've shown yourself on your cover artwork. Why now with this Prospect album did you decide to do that? Barely, yeah. It's, no, I'm on the front and the back cover. Oh, um, let's have a look. Yeah. That <laughs> you are. <laughs> and then on the inside as well. So <laughs> why now? I think that on a very basic level, I had another, uh, so if you, if you recognize my last two albums, they had this kind of train theme mm-hmm. and I was going to go with that train theme again. And then I just had this, I, I did a photo shoot with a, a photographer named Caitlin Cronenberg and we saw these pictures and they were beautiful. You know what I mean? And I knew they were going to be my campaign pictures and they're, they're going to be at the center of my campaign. And we even built that photo shoot around the, the album cover that I was going to use. So w- once I was doing all this like design work for the album, for the, for the, for the manufacturing of the CDs and the vinyl records. And then we got to the drawing board and the, the manufacturers asked me to change a whole bunch of stuff about it. Like do this, do that black point, all this weird stuff I had to learn. Yeah. And then I wanted to try something and I inserted one of the press photos in there. And I was like, this is the album cover. And it was a real conversation with me, with my, me and my wife, where I was just like, I had this idea of this like theme of like the first album we made it through the wreckage deals with the past in our time deals with the present and then prospect deals with the future, right? What, how are you going to contribute to the future? So it was a trilogy in my mind. And then when I saw my face on the record, and even though it's just very subtle, yeah. I was like, I can't, I got to show, I got to show myself. Like, this is the record to show yourself. Stop hiding. Step into the light, even though it's just a sliver of the light right now. And let people know that you are a black person. Um, yeah. Don't be, don't be shy about that. Don't hide that. And um, I had to realize even at that time that I was, I thought I was being crafty when I was like, okay, I'm not going to put myself on the album cover because in the folk Americana space, as a black artist, people are going to pigeonhole you and they're going to assume that you're soul music. Whereas there's certain artists in the folk Americana space, if they sing with soul, they just say it's soulful folk or it's soulful. this. But if you do it, it's soul music, right? And I always had a stigma about that because I had an experience where someone told me at a label that they don't do R&B and soul and they didn't even listen to the record, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, because it wasn't an R&B and soul, <laughs> soul record. <laughs> so when I called them out on it, they apologized. But that was the beginning of me saying, I'm not going to put my face on the record anymore. But it wasn't, it wasn't me acting out of strategy. It was more fair than strategy. I thought it was strategy, but it was really fair, motivated by fear of being rejected or being pigeonholed before you had a, mm. for people had a chance to hear the music, right? Yeah, yeah. And you make reference, obviously, to we made it through the wreckage and in our time. How did the recording process compare with this album to your previous two albums? Oh man, the first record was just like, we had like 10 days to record, mix, and master the record. So that's me going from tracking it in the studio, singing all the vocals, mixing the record, and then mastering it. It all took like 10, 11 days. So we got what we got out of that. Like it was like, I met the producer for the first time when we did the first song together. And um, it was, it was you know, my biggest song to date, you know, is on that record. It's called Old Sweet Day. So yeah. I mean, it's it's a good record, but it, let's just say only one song out of ten worked. We got one song, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm so uh, it, it paid for itself. The second record, I was on my way to work with another producer who's very well known in the industry, he's a Grammy winning producer, and there was some management back and forth that didn't happen. And um, when I was in Nashville, I was rehearsing with this with a guy named in at a studio called the Bomb Shelter. And the guy who was the band at the time, he recommended, hey, you should record your record here. We do all kinds of stuff. And this is also the first time I was meeting this producer named Andrea Tokic. And that record uh, was kind of like, is we had more time. We had more opportunity to uh, flesh out some of the songs. I think I dove a little bit further into, I, I always say like the songwriting on my second record as a songwriter, songwriter is stronger than the, songwriting on my first record but my first record's a little more raw and a little more just like free and i i think that on both of those records there's things that i would do differently things that i would change and on this new record the producer paul mayberry i toured with him for about 
just under two years with an artist named Lauren Daigle. He was her music director, producer, and drummer. And the process of getting to know him before working with him became so important because I had no intention of Paul Mayberry producing my record. You know, he was, uh, he's in this, he, from my point of view, he was in the CCM space or contemporary Christian music space. I wasn't trying to make CCM music, but one night we were talking is on my, it was the night of my birthday. And, um, he was just like, I said, I said, I said, yo, like if you produced my record, what would you do? And everything he said was everything I've always, was everything I was trying to accomplish on my other two records. Because of time or communication issues or trust issues, if you want to say, I was never fully able to accomplish that. I think why Old Sweet Day works so well is because it really carved out a space for my voice. Like I did Old Sweet Day in one take, right? And there's like, it's not, it, everything just seems to work perfectly on that song. And there's, there's nobody's doing more than they need to. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, but there's a lot happening in a beautiful way, right? And my voice is right there. So Paul kind of identified, like, I would put your voice front and center on this record. I wouldn't make it too dense and have so like people just playing all over your voice. And he wasn't referring to anything specifically. He's just saying, like, I would just make sure your voice is on its own pulpit and able to, like, just shine, you know? Mm. But man, that's everything I've been trying to do. Is like, do you know anybody who can produce my record like that, right? It was just a question. He's a, he's a producer. He's a producer. And then I, and then I was like, I, and then I said, or would you do it? It's like, man, of course, I'd love to produce your record, man. I think we do a great job. And so this record was the first time I actually had a relationship with the producer before that. Mm-hmm. And that makes a, a huge difference. You could feel it in the record. There's a cohesiveness and a, and a, and a, a connectedness in this record that yeah. wasn't on my previous two records. You know what I mean? And it's no fault of the producers necessarily. It's it's just that music is a very intimate and personal thing. Till you have those opportunities to build relationships, if you're making music that is hedged on the idea of relationship, but then you don't have a relationship with the people you're creating the music with, it's it's a weird yeah. thing, right? It happens all the time. But you know, sometimes you can just create great music because it's just science, it's just mathematics. Sometimes you got to have a little bit, a little heart in it. You know what I mean? Yeah, and you obviously talk about your vocals being right at the forefront of Prospect, but there's also some you know, beautiful backing vocals and the singers that you've got accompanied on the album. Where did that concept come from? Was it when you're writing the songs that you always knew you kind of wanted to have this like chorus in the background? Or was it when you got chatting to the producer that that came out? I've always wanted to have a Bob Marley type Mm. beachy vocals on my music. Always, always, always. And I've never done it yet. Part of the reason why is because shout out to my mentor. He's always like, oh, your music doesn't need any BG vocals. It's just your voice is so powerful. Your voice should be front and center. Like he always said that to me. My, my, your, your voice is all you need. And to a, to a degree, I agree with him. Because um, I was always I had this fascination with gang vocals and stuff like that. And he's like, you don't need any of that stuff. But I think what it comes down to is like, if you're going to bring it, bring it correctly. Yeah. And Paul Mayberry brought it correctly. So, so those same ladies who sang on the record, Imani Wilkins, Devin Fox, Lizzie Morgan, they they, were, they toured with Lauren as well. They were her ah, group. Ah, okay, right. Due to COVID, let's say, they were in Nashville at the time when they were supposed to be on tour. And yeah. it just so happened they were able to come into the studio and record this record, record this record. So we knew, I didn't know the BG vocals were going to be such a big part of this record, but I always write music where there's space for those kind of harmonies and call and responses. Yeah. Like if I went back and did all my records, we could probably insert those kind of BG vocals throughout each one of those records. Just probably didn't have the budget, the time to put that on there, right? Yeah. Uh, but, but, but on like, in our time, um, songs like Maureen, Maureen Murphy played on, sang on the record as well. She's on uh, Made It Home. Mm-hmm. She's singing vocals on Made It Home. There's a song called Kelowna that I re- released um, it was supposed to be on that for, on, in our time. Didn't happen to be on it, but I released it later on a thing called on archive that I put out uh, an yeah. EP. Yes, she's on that song. She's also on um, in our time. The song called In Our Time. Yeah, yeah. So the BG vocals, like that, was a dream come true that I didn't even know was going to happen, and I think they just they killed it. And, be, and it's like it's almost one of those things where it's like, oh, I can never not do that again. <laughs> to some, yeah. to some I have to find three female singers, <laughs> if not those women themselves, yeah. who can be on every one of my records now because it it feels right. Mm. It, was, it was very tasteful, and he didn't he used them, and that's one thing I always said. I don't want to use BG vocals on my record, and I don't even think I communicated to this with Paul. 
I don't, it may, I may have, I don't know if I did, but I always thought this, like with talking to my mentor Oren, I don't want to use them like having like vocals on my vocals, but use them as another instrument on the record. And that's mm. how it came out. So uncovering the album track by track, obviously you start off with, with the title song and kick off the album with Prospect. You haven't started your other previous albums off with the title track songs. What was no, no. the intention to do that with Prospect? Uh, I, I have like a, a, a document somewhere that has like at least 12 to 15. Let me, let me see. I'm going to pull it up right now. Album sequences. Oh, wow. Right? So yeah, I, I go really deep into sequencing. Yeah. Um, and for those who don't know, sequencing is how you, the order in which you put your record. I, I think I didn't want Prospect to be the, fir- the first. Okay. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, eleven. 11, okay. Wow. Yeah, 11, 12. So this first one is just is not even really in order. It's just the way. So there was one that was my favorite. Kind of just wrapped this up to you. So the first order is just the tracks in order, in, in alphabetical order, right? And then title first. That's the first. So that's the real one I made first. Mm-hmm. It says prospect danger, lift me again, cold as fire, say it to me, until you echo the, the track, the way it is right now. That's yeah. the first one I made. And then I went on to make about 10 more of them. And I spent like a month trying to decide as I was working on the record, trying to decide what the, the out, the order is going to be. And ironically, I came back to that one called title first. So there was one called new precedent. And that would have started with coldest fire. Okay. The new song. There's another one called cinematic. It would have started with danger. Mm -hmm. And then there's another one called bright away, which would have started with until you right. And ended with cool of the day. So you start with a bright song until you coldest fire echo full circle, you bright. And then it gets a little darker as it goes to the end. Um, There's another one called the story. Um, we've been until you full circle. So I'm trying to tell a story with the songs, right? Yeah. So you kind of get that idea. So with Prospect, it's one of those things where like you just wrote it right the first time and it became the one that made more sense just because of the nature of what you're saying in this song. And um, I don't like albums that, not that I don't, it doesn't change the music if it starts with the title track or not, but I feel like you should kind of bury your title track in yeah. there. <laughs> I just felt like it just made sense. It was just like, this is it. This is the best order. I have the, the first one's called, the, on this list, the first one's called Title First and the last one's called Title Last. So <laughs> Very imaginative. Right, right, right. <laughs> there's the Americana one, there's Repeat All. So this is designed, a sequence designed to get people to to repeat the album over and over again. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't end up using that one. But uh, Prospect is a great introduction to this record. Um, I think it kind of, it's like a response to my song Breaking Ground in a way. It kind of builds on that conversation in a way. It's a little heavier, a little deeper, a little more spiritual than Breaking Ground is. But it, it goes a little, it, it kind of like touches on this this idea of our, the value of our lives and, and, our, and then just kind of like what we contribute to life and pushing to become something and to be something. You know I mean, Breaking Ground is a little more... Um, for lack of a better word, pedestrian, whereas prospect is a little more spiritual, a little mm-hmm. more elevated. So, yeah, I think I think it just fit right at the start you know, of the record and just you know just kind of kind of just set that tone for like, okay, this is it was new enough to get people to be like, okay, eyes trying something different. When you listen to the lyrics and if you strip back all the music, it's just it's just it's still me. So. Yeah, and it feels really really timeless as well. The song yeah. itself. And then that swiftly moves on to the brilliant danger. And I'm fascinated by the way this song came about because it started off as, as a dream you had. And right. then suddenly turns out it's very, very similar parallels to a woman that you meet. Yeah, it's a crazy, it's a crazy story. Um, you know, it's a long story, so I won't go into all of it because <laughs> yeah. I can get long-winded. But yeah, I essentially dreamt, I dreamt the song. It was like 3 a.m., woke up from this dream and I was at a venue in Toronto called Massey Hall and I was singing, I feel danger to this crowd, this float out show. And they were all just like singing back. And I remember it was like, it felt real. And I woke up and I sang it into my photo booth recorder. Um, some people just use regular audio recorder. I like to look at myself when I sing. I'm just mumbling something. And um, it ended up being a situation where a director reached out to me. So I wrote the song and then played it for my wife. She loved it. I loved it. I thought it was like a, a I thought it was a hit song, right? I don't know mm-hmm. if it's a hit song, but I thought it was. And fast forward, a director reaches out to me, wants to do a video during the pandemic. 
because of the circumstances of the pandemic, we weren't able to shoot the video. But in the process of like organizing the video, a reverend reached out to me, very nice lady, community worker, works with people who have been victims of gun violence and people who have lost their lives. Like she didn't work with the families that have lost someone to gun violence, particularly mothers. And the video, original concept, we wanted to have mothers in the video. And she wanted to be our consultant on this video. And one of the things she was doing was going through my lyrics to make sure none of the lyrics were triggering or had any offensive, offensive meaning that if a mother who was on set heard these lyrics, it wouldn't offend her or hurt her, right? And she looked at the first line that I had lyrically. It said, Timothy was shot on Adelaide. That's the first line. And she was like, we can't say shot around these mothers because it's a triggering word. We got to take that out. They take it out. And she was very nice about it. And I said, you know what? Like, she wasn't like, oh, you have to take it out. Like, she was asking, yeah. would you be here with it? And I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. My, my music's for healing. It's not for hurting. Of course I'll do that. The next line she thought pointed out was, Evelyn stood by the window pane. More than strange, you won't pick up. So she said, Evelyn, are you familiar with the mother named Evelyn Fox in Toronto who lost her son similar to the way you describe in the song? And I was like, no, I've never heard of her. I just, I dreamt this name. So she said, are you familiar with the Evelyn name, Evelyn Fox? And I was like, nope, I just said it because it sounded the best. I had a bunch of names that I wrote down and that one sounded the best to me. So I was like, that's the one I'm using. She asked me to take it out because she felt that it would be offended. It would offend the mother. And I was like, sure, I don't want to, you know, again, my music for healing, I don't want to hurt. But it didn't, like, something inside me felt like, I don't want to take that out. Like, I just felt like, you know, like mm. I'll do it, obviously, because I don't want, like, that's not my MO. I trust my instincts. And as a songwriter, that one I felt like I wanted to keep because I, I went through a lot of names and that was the one that was like, yes. So fast forward, I go to the studio with Paul and I explain the story to him about this lady named Evelyn Fox and it's end up being the same name. My wife calls when we're working on the song in the studio and she's like, hey, I was doing some research into Evelyn Fox and not only did her son die in a similar manner, that you you, you described in the song and it, there wasn't no similar manner because I just say he was shot by a stray bullet which is kind of like he was not the intended target yeah. but he was, he died literally five minutes from where you say so imagine having a dream about someone of a real story that you don't even know exists and then the real story happens within your own home city five minutes away from where you describe in the song like she could have lived in New Zealand, the Congo, the story, you know what I'm saying? Like, like yeah. anywhere really, so, but like literally in my own hometown. So Paul, the producer was like, man, you got to, you got to leave her name in. And he said it in a very kind way. He said like, sometimes people can get offended on people's behalf without knowing that they may be getting in the way of somebody's blessing. I don't, I don't think she had any, like, I think she was just trying to help this mother. You know what I mean? She was like, I think she took the name up, but I just, I, you know, we, so I recorded a version with Evelyn and then I just put Isabel, recorded a version with Isabel. Cause I was like, you know, let's just see. Let's just like, we'll see how I feel after. Cause I, I want to let this marinate on this. So we let it sit and I ended up saying, we'll keep Evelyn in it. If there's any problems, I'll just, I'm a, I'm a kind person. I know my intentions. We'll apologize <laughs> later. So I, I finally reached out to Evelyn because I was afraid for a while. Like, what if she hates the song? Like, this is much, much later, right? The album's coming out now. I recorded it in last August. Not coming out, but it's like finally mixed and mastered and it's ready to get the first songs are coming out. Yeah. Um, and I said to her, uh, long email, sent her a long email and said, hey, you know, I was a little nervous sending you this, but I want you to know this whole story. Boom, boom, boom. And it was a long email. And she doesn't respond. My wife reaches out to her and, on Twitter and says, my husband messaged you about this. I think you should reach out. And then she responds back. She's like, oh, I thought your message was spam. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, well, I'm so thankful that you didn't take my name out. I'm so honored. Like when I heard the song, I was just crying my eyes out. And you gave me a voice when I didn't feel like I had a voice. So that's another reason why like prospect, the title matters to me. And it kind of unfolds in a different way because when you're not afraid of, of like going to those places, Mm. And we take like we we trust our heart and we trust our instincts, um, regardless of like what other people's intentions are. Or not you know what I mean? Because again, the Reverend had pure intentions and good intentions, but you you don't realize whose life you're affecting when you put out positive music, when you put out things that put out negative music, even right. So I, I try to I strive to live my life as if what I do is going to leave an impact, is going to leave an imprint on others. Evelyn's going to be a friend of mine for the rest of my life. She ended up being in the music video for Danger. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's just like, it's it's a crazy story, but it's like, 
our lives are connected to something big. We are more connected to each other than we realize. We're connected to something bigger, I believe, than we realize sometimes. And we get so mm-hmm. caught up in small and minute things that we don't think about these connections. Like sometimes you may just like think about someone and then they they call you, right? Yeah. Or you may walk into a room with a song in your head and then someone's humming it. And it's like, w- w- was I singing that earlier? Did you hear me sing that earlier? Yeah, like, yeah. Like little connections like that, but we can have those connections on a bigger level too. It's a spiritual thing. It is, you know what I mean? I don't want to get too flighty. We don't, science has not fully explored how our brains work completely and how our, our energy works and our spirituality works. And like, I'm a deeply religious person, Yeah. but I, th- I think some of it is very simple, simple things. So how we read body language, how our thoughts travel, are our thoughts energies that travel? Anyways, that's, that's a whole nother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what, Going into track three, Lift Me Again, which is almost like a call for help and strength. And I think it really speaks to the people after the last few years that we've had in particular. At what point did you write that song? Was it kind of linked to what's happened over the last couple of years? I was on tour with Lauren Daigle. And I think that was a song that I wrote that made me challenge myself on how, what can I do with my voice? Being, I played like Radio City Music Hall, Red Rocks, Amphitheater, uh, Greek Theater, so like Orpheum Theater, like a bunch of theaters and stadiums and arenas and stuff. And I felt to myself, this is what my voice can do. Like hearing my voice at sound check in these big spaces. So when I got back home off tour for a little break, I sat down and wrote this song and I really focused on where does my voice sound the best? Like what key? If I do like, this is a little technical, but like A E I O U in this key, does it sound better than A-E-I-O-U in this key? And what, oh, right. what, okay, yeah. what letter? So, I know it sounds, this may not be the answer you wanted. So I was, I was really focusing on how to make my, my voice sound bigger. The, the message, though, in the song is something I live with all the time. It didn't take a pandemic for me, if you're referring to the pandemic specifically. It didn't take a pandemic. Are you? Are you or no? Yeah, as in I get what you're saying in that it's not about the pandemic and how you're feeling. It's something that you've always, you know, um, yeah, like. Yeah, like, you know, you know, in this industry, like when you're not an artist who has, uh, as a black male artist in the folk Americana space, I don't have major label supporting. I don't have that big machine behind me. You know what I mean? Whatever mm-hmm. you see is me building this up with my wife and a small team, right? Um, comparatively small. So you always hit roadblocks. You always hit stumbling blocks. You, you, you feel like you're on the outside all the time. Then there's other parts of my life, which I won't go into that. You know, you, you've experienced uh, persecution, I guess. <laughs> if that's the, I don't know if I've experienced like real persecution, but like where you weren't, you weren't always the most favored person in certain circumstances. So you just got to find that strength in you to, to get back up over and over again. You got to, and maybe it doesn't always come from you personally. Like, you know what I mean? Maybe it comes from, um, God, or maybe it comes from a family member, your wife, your spouse, your children, you know? So there is a, there is a really strong sense in the song of like dependency. This is the relationship part about it. You know what I mean? It could have easily said, I'll lift you again and put it from the point of view of someone who's helping, but like that vulnerability of us asking for help, we don't always want to present ourselves in that level of vulnerability. But um, if it definitely fit the 2020 year perfect, <laughs> perfectly yeah right? i suppose that's the thing with being a songwriter that you you write a song which means something to you but then people depending on the time it will be timeless and then go with you know that over the years now some people relate to it in this way because of what's happened to them over the last couple of years oh yeah there's, the an art, there's an artist um a friend of mine from toronto named jp Sachs, and he wrote a song with um julia michaels called if the world was ending oh yeah 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 Yeah. so he I don't, I don't know for a fact but i'm pretty certain he wrote that before the pandemic happened and then because the, the way when the song came out it was just like i don't think the pandemic we went into lockdown at all, at all yet mm. and you know for whatever reason they wrote that song it probably wasn't even about the pandemic and it's just like it became a theme song for i think on tiktok it went really popular you know, so like, so, yeah, so exactly, like prospect, the same thing with the title. Like it just, I had one reason, like the term prospect is very popular in basketball. So like, if I wasn't a big Raptors fan, I probably wouldn't have used that as a title. It just became a cool yeah. idea for me. Um, and prospect usually is about like the person, like if someone's a prospect, they're a good pick. 
You know what I mean? There's someone that you want on your team. Oh, right? Okay, right. Got it. In, in basketball. So like usually we have prospects and like when they do the draft pick or even in, in football, oh. soccer, same idea. Prospect is someone you're looking at, like that person's going to be good. We should look at them to bring them on the team. So for me, that's how I kind of look like in this industry, in the folk America. I'm the prospect. Look at me, right? And then it kind of evolved into something bigger than, than just me in this industry. It, it became, as I started listening to my audience and how they connected to music and the songs I was teasing to them or listening to them, it's about us being the prospect in our own lives and just and understanding that we can elect ourselves to have an impact on life, to, to leave an imprint on life. You know what I mean? It became bigger and it's still expanding, like, you know what I mean? The meaning yeah. of it. So that happens for artists all the time. And um, on to track four. When I actually last spoke to you, I asked you if there's any countries or in particular that you haven't been to. And you said South Africa was somewhere you've never been to and you've got like a big fan base over there. And when I first heard this song, it very much, that's, I definitely got like a kind of South African feel. Was that something, because I read that apparently this song almost never happened. Was it that you wanted to add the element of the South African feel to it? Yeah. How did that progress? No, I mean, yeah, it's funny. When I had the, when as soon as the song was finished, I told the producer, I was like, this feels like South Africa to me. Yeah. Um, so when we went to lockdown, I thought my album was going to be recorded in April of last year, mm. um, 2020. And when things went down, it didn't happen. And then I had more time to write. So this song was one of the songs, the, the two songs, this one and Say It To Me, where once I thought the album was done and I had all the songs, I went and wrote these two. Cold's Fire was a response to, it wasn't a direct response to George Floyd or Black Lives Matter, but as a response to me being someone who have a, 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 a large Southern Christian fan base because of the Lauren Daigle tour. I am a Christian. I don't make Christian music. And I have a large folk Americana, you know, fan base, indie fan base. And then I'm a Black man you know what i mean so it's kind of like i was saying to myself if i say something then these people like if i say certain things then this christian community might attack me right if i don't say certain things then this community might ask me why are you not standing up for the cause um and i i do what i want i have i have very strong positions of very strong positions about how i am navigate through the world and and my i'm not political but like my heritage my culture no one could question me on that stuff but I was just like, okay, what, what is my political stance? Because I try to stay out of the politics. It's, it's very divisive. It never really leads to anything good. So I was just kind of like, okay, the biggest line in it, I guess, is I'll be damned if I do, damned if I don't. But musically, when we went in the studio, I don't think I told Paul about the story about the background of it. And he heard a very tr- tropical sound to it and went in this direction. And we, this is the first song where we had to like, I was a little reluctant on the direction it was going in. I felt like, ah, uh, it's a little too, like, bouncy, you know what I mean? And he was yeah. hearing, like, like, a whim away, like, in the jungle vibes a little bit. Um, and I said, I said, okay, give me this. Just give me the first chorus, the first verse with no drums in it. Drop the drums on the chorus of the or, or verse two. I think the drums drop on verse two, right? Um, and then when we did that, he's like, okay, you're right about that part. You know what I mean? But yeah. um, this was the song where I, when I wrote it, I was like, okay, it's a, I knew it was going to be a little more mainstream sounding, which is not really mainstream sounding, more pop sounding, yeah, yeah. quote unquote pop sounding. So I was like, I wanted a very standard production on it. But when he came with his angle to it, it grew on me. And I was like, okay, we both compromised a little, but it was, it was like the type of compromise that was healthy for the song. I love it. He's one of his, it's one of his favorite songs on the record. And you mentioned Say It To Me. Is that your favorite song off the record? And obviously a beautiful song about really just being seen and heard. Yeah, am I right in thinking that's your favorite song? One yeah, I would say, I say it's my favorite because like usually when a song, like I don't cry ever. So if a song makes me cry, I tear up. I know it's special to me. So that one made me tear up a little bit. Tears coming to my eyes. Mm. And uh, that song is going to inform the future of my music a lot of ways. So like every record, I have a song that informs the direction of where I'm going to go because I'm a, I'm a late bloomer in this music industry. So I'm learning so much every day still. And I'm, and I'm unfolding more about me. So it's like, say it to me in some ways, and is an extension of on my side from 
uh, in in our time, sorry. And uh, it has that a little bit of a gospel vibe. When I say it's not really, it's more of a spiritual vibe, like like the Negro spirituals or the Black spirituals. And it, it's a song that I, I I needed to hear, I needed to write, knowing that like don't let your voice be buried in in depression or sorrow or fear. Prayer, it's a prayerful song. You know what I mean? I do believe in the power of prayer. It's it's just about sometimes we let ourselves especially me, like when I get down about something or when I get frustrated or angry, I close up in a shell. Um, that's something I have to work out with my wife. I sometimes have a hard time expressing myself when I go into like a quote unquote negative space and I close off, I go in my studio and just like close the door. It's something I identified as a problem. Something that I identified as something that could affect our relationship in the long run. It was, you know, and it's something that it's a trauma that I inherited from uh, childhood, right? But then the song, connects to so many other things like you know how many women have had to like bite their tongue or bite their lip to make it in this industry which is why i used a woman in the music video you know what i mean um yeah, well you directed it yeah and i wouldn't call myself a director just yet <laughs> <laughs> but i did i did direct that, that one out of, out of necessity yeah so i mean there's too many people that are silenced in this world children um women people of color uh black people so it's, it's a very passionate song for me. It's it's a song that like when I hear it, I just like I can listen to it over and over. And all my songs, beautiful I'm, song, beautiful song. And there's yeah, there's no agenda with that song. It's just like that's what I. This is it. And song number six, "Until You." It wasn't apparently. Oh, well, this is what it said. It wasn't supposed to be released as a standalone single, but then it, it gathered lots of attention. And it, I think again, it really spoke to people. What made you drop that single first? Because that was the first one off the album. But like you said, right. it was a standalone single. Right. It, the last time I released official music was in 2018 with In Our Time. In Our Time, yeah. So I, I released an archive. I wouldn't call that official music because that was just songs that were on my hard drive that hadn't come out yet. But I released, I, I put it out just for my audience. And then I'm like, okay, I need to like read, read, ignite my fan base you know what i mean because like it's been so long yeah and this was like a marketing thing you know where where my my team um Kedin, shout out to Kedin. she was just like you know i think you need to have a summary song a bright song i was thinking about releasing lift me again <laughs> as a standalone um Kedin and my mentor Orin isaacs he they were both like until you is a song until you you gotta go something bright something uplifting for the summer give something people Get, get them excited and happy. Mm. So it became that song and it became the standalone single. And uh, yeah, it's, that's also one of my favorite songs. I mean, they're all, I, there's no misses on this record. That one yeah. is just like, it's about my wife. It's about, a, it's a true story. It's like the prequel to the wreckage, the theme of We Made It Through the Wreckage and why that album, how that story connects to me and my wife. And maybe I'll tell that one day in an autobiography or something. Until You talks about that about like how we made it to the record, like how I met her and whatnot. So like, yeah, I, I've traveled a lot, backpacked a lot. When I met my wife, like I won't say I settled down because I wasn't living no crazy lifestyle, but I, I knew that she was the one and I knew that we would be working together and we would have a, a, a foundation together. And that like the way I looked at the world and operated in the world would never be the same once I met her does that make sense yeah 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 it's such a joy song we you must have been so happy with the response that it got yeah I wasn't like I didn't uh, you know because like picking so when you work with a major label this is for all the artists out there if you're listening um, when you work with a major label they are very involved most of the times in in directing a single usually you got to write the single and then the energy goes behind that single once they identify it for me, I'm creating, I'm creating, I'm creating art. I'm creating emotions. I'm just, I'm not considering writing a single. This was my folk song. Like I'm like, if, if, if people don't think this album's folk, this is my folk song. I can do it. And so you have all these choices because it's really up to me. Like I could pick whatever song I like, like say it to me could have been a single. Like, you know what I mean? Danger in the U.S. is what we dropped as a single because Until You became a single in Canada, but it's not a single that we pushed yet, at least in the U.S. You know what ah, I mean? Okay. So it's it, it's interesting, like when you choose a song, because last record we chose a song, uh, "Breaking Ground," which got which got tremendous support on DSPs, but it didn't get any love on radio. 
so it's a weird it's a weird thing like so you just pick the song that feels right you have to have a, some a reason for it you know what i mean and if it's if you just love it then release it but i think that was like i can't say i can't credit my genius for why that song became what it was yeah. i'm glad it did And number seven on the album, we got Echo, which is a real sense of coming together in community song. And I think the the harmonies and the beautiful layered harmonies seems to really add to that as well. Um, how was the recording process behind that song in the studio? Echo was, it, it was almost the the lost child. Really? <laughs> do, you, do people lose children? No. The, like, <laughs> the black sheep of the record. It, it became like the, the sore thumb for for a little bit of time we, we we tracked everything in the studio with the band so me and paul did the scratch vocals and the guitar my guitar and then we went and brought it to the band let them hear it then we all tracked it and that was the one we were finished we we're all just like ah, i don't know about this and i was trying to explain what i wanted and i was like i was like imagine like being in a soccer stadium and there's just all these people just singing the song and it's like this meets this and like enya and like all these weird stuff right and they're just confused, I think. And then we, we, we die and then like, you know, because sometimes like, and everybody was like, it was the only moment where we did, there was a little bit of a disruption in the force. And uh, me and Paul went back to the studio with it and we were like, okay, let's focus on this song. And, and then became, okay, we got to get the drums right on the song. And then we got to figure out what we're going to do with the, with the backing vocals on the song. And then the band came all back to Paul's studio. We did gang vocals. So everybody who played on the band, on the record, with somewhat additional guys came and sang gang vocals. So, it was it, when going into the record. It was my wife's favorite song when it was just an acoustic version, and then I told the producer, "I said, hey, this is my wife's favorite song. We got to make sure we we get it right. We get it right." <laughs> so it was it was like the song that we were like, "Okay, we got to save because we have like it's nine out of nine. Like there's these are all good. Like this is a this is a nine out of nine record, but adding this song it becomes a nine out of ten. You know." <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> And then once we found that thing, like we stripped back again, this is, this is where we, we, we went back to the foundation of what the album was about. Keeping the voice front and center, stripping all the layers, and don't just add stuff to add stuff. And then he, he stri- kept stripping back the drums, kept stri- stripping back the guitars, and then it was just like my original guitar part. And it just was like, okay, let your voice carry this song, and then let the gang vocals meet you there. You know yeah. what I mean? And there's not a lot going on in the song. It's just a galloping drum kind of beat. It's almost like you're jogging. And then my voice, that guitar, and then the vo- then it gets bigger with the voices, right? But we don't go crazy. But uh, yeah, so that was a funny one. That was like, it's like, we're all just like, so, so, so I remember one time, and I'll stop on that, like where um, Adam Lester played guitar on the record. He's like, so on day two in the studio with the band, he was like, so if you had to say, what song do you think would be like the weakest link on this record? Which one would it be? And I was like, Prospect? Because because when they started tracking that one, I wasn't in the studio. So I was like, and the only reason I'm saying that because I wasn't here when you guys started tracking it, right? Because I got there late to the studio. And he's like, they, everybody's like, hey, we think it's uh, Echo, but I'm, I'm, I think we, we got that one and we brought it home to a good place. And it's like, I just love listening to it. My sync team loves it. You know what I mean? And track number eight, Cool of the Day, which seems to be quite like a reflective song and almost bring us back in, you know, mind of where we are now so much. Yeah. What was your inspiration to write that song? So I, I like looking at like the nature of man and woman, the nature of human beings. And, the, you know, people say, are we are we good by nature? Are we evil by nature? You know what I mean? Yeah, like um, nature or nurture, that kind of stuff. Right. Yeah. Right. Do we learn bad behaviors or do we... I have four children, so I'll tell you this. Children don't learn bad behaviors. They're just selfish and like, <laughs> 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 no, um, no, children are inherently good, but we do have selfish tendencies. And I wonder why, like, how did we get to the place that we got to, you know what I mean, in, in life and in history? And it's, it's essentially like a reflection on the origins of human existence, I guess, and what people call the fall of, of of man and the fall of man and woman and it's it's like a, a cry to get back to paradise to get back to like yeah. purity you know what i mean so 
the line that how did we get they also sang gang vocals on that song how did we get lost like how did we get to this point i know people think that like the world's getting better and better and better i mean technology is getting better you know what i mean but mm-hmm. like the way we treat each other maybe if you and i are in person we treat each other kindly some you know sometimes but like the way we treat each other on social media you know what I mean? The way we treat each other behind the guise of like avatars yeah. and screen names. Um, some of our darkest behaviors come out on the internet. And sometimes that stuff spills over into reality. A lot of times. I mean, it comes from somewhere. It's not like it just exists only on the internet, right? Yeah. So we see it, we see it in, in broad daylight on the internet sometimes. And then it happens and it feels like they're just random occurrences when, when you know, the abuse of a parent abusing their child or like crazy things like that. Where does this come from? Why do we do it? So we can't, so the line, we came out of the garden and into the woods up from the ashes and down from the sun. The garden is like paradise, the garden of Eden. You know what mm. I mean? In the woods is like, you can, you know, it's, it's like it has multiple meanings, but you can think of like the whole like Hansel and Gretel story or like, um, was it Little Red Riding Hood? Yeah, yeah, of, yeah. Like there's danger in the woods. You know what I mean? Up from the ashes, down from the sun. So there's there's a lot of like religious symbolism in the song. There's a lot of spiritual symbolism in the song. Like that's one of those songs where like I could have taken that oh and just made it like a basic stomp and holler kind of song or whatever. But yeah. I was like, I want to go. I want to go deep on this song, and I really like the, the words "cool of the day." It's a it's a, it's a biblical word t- terminology. And I've always said I want to write a song called Cool of the Day. It sounds like it's going to seem to be like a cheesy jazz song. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right. But it's just like, um, I just always wondered what that meant. Cool of the day, cool of the day. Mm. So I was just like, in the cool of the day, we got carried away. Right. So it's just the innocence turning into curiosity, turning into danger, turning into loss of innocence. And then how do we get back to that purity and that innocence? It's really what Cool of the Day is about. The penultimate song, Full Circle, where obviously all your vocals are really, really honest, but you seem to really wear your heart on your sleeve with this song. And um, at what point in the album did you write this song? Ooh, Full Circle was, uh, let me see, I can probably find out the actual dates. Whenever I have like a song idea, I record the first iteration of that idea on my photo booth, right? Oh, nice, yeah. So, so what will happen is photo booth records the the, the tracks by um, dates. They don't. They say, it will say date, time, MOV file, right? So the this was February twentieth. The first moment that the song came into existence, February twentieth, twenty twenty two. So in February, so that's that's like oh, right. this is before the pandemic, I think. At the time I wrote that song, I thought it was going to be the last song on the record. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. So I wrote it and I was like, oh, this is the one. This is it. I, I wrote the song I needed to write to make it not just a folky, like, you know what I mean? Not, not, just, the, not just not a folky record, but like, I, I think I, it felt like the song I needed to be more mainstream, not mainstream, but like mm-hmm. it was a little more accessible. I don't like to use the word mainstream. So, this is this is the good part about doing like interviews on <laughs> like, like yeah, you could just whack like, at the files. Yeah, look at the files of where is if I was in a studio I'd have to remember all this stuff. I was like, I don't know, I couldn't take. <laughs> um yeah, so full circle, it was what I thought was gonna be the last song. Mm. Which makes you think like, did I just become a better songwriter over <laughs> the course of the record? <laughs> or you know, did did I just dig deeper and those songs came? You know what I mean? Yeah. Hopefully the goal is that I do continue to become a better songwriter. And then the next album I pick off where Full Circle say it to me and Cold as Fire were left off. And then I write, you know, better mm-hmm. songs. But um, yeah, Full Circle, man, it's another one about... It's about your wife. About my wife. It could be about, like, you could look at it from a spiritual perspective, but it's definitely about my wife. Like, she, get, she grounds me. Like, she, she's the one, she's my manager as well. I'm very imaginative. I'm very dreamy. I sometimes go on like mental tangents, you know what I mean? And like, she brings me back to ground zero, back to the, back to the start. So like, and, and, and this is my experience. So every song I write, I write for myself first, but I, I guarantee that people are going to take it in multiple ways. Is the, when I wrote it, it was the song. I'm like, this is the wedding song. I, I think this is another one I wanted to be a single 
earlier single than than I'm glad we waited till till like release day. But I I think when I wrote it, like this is the single of the album. And yeah. in the studio, when we finished the song, I remember Paul said, and I always tell the story because it's so powerful. I think there's a moment where I saw with my own eyes everybody coming together. And like this is the first time on the record where I felt all the musicians were contributing to my vision yeah. and wanted to, to honor what I wanted for this record and, and give that care. Because sometimes you go in a studio and bass player has one idea, drummer has another idea, producer has another idea, artist has another idea, and it never coalesces together, never comes together in a way that's going to create the best product. You know what I mean? And that can mm-hmm. be for many reasons. Um, but with this record, everybody wanted to see eyes, vision come to life. There was no ego. And that was just the most beautiful part. So on Full Circle, it was like the culmination of that. We were all just like, wow. And when, when we finished the record, you just felt this wash over the room. And Paul was sitting on, on a chair. And well, there's, a, there's the guy who owned the studio. His name is Paul Moak. And the producer is Paul Mayberry. Paul Moak walked in and he plays lap steel, pedal steel. And Paul Mayberry was like, yo, you want to play on this record? And he didn't even know it was my record. He's like, um, he's like, let me hear it. We'll see. And you could tell there was like skepticism in his voice because like so many musicians come in there and a lot of records can be not his style or yeah. like not good records. And he, pl- he played the song Full Circle we were pl- working on. And he's like, who is this? And they looked at him. He's like, is that you? I was like, he's like, he's like hell yeah. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> 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 and he went in and played on the lap steel. Um, and it was just so beautiful. And then I was watching him recording on my phone and we we both walked in. Paul sitting down, Paul Mayberry, tears in his eyes. And he was like, you know, the, the line that stood out to me is like, you work so hard your whole career to get to this level, to, to become successful. And then you're too tired to appreciate it. And it was just like a very vulnerable moment. And it's just like, Paul's won Grammys, he's won multiple awards, he's a platinum selling producer. And I'm always striving to get to that level, to watch him and feel like, you know, I don't know how to explain it, because my record is like, he did my record kind of like a favor for me. Like, he didn't have to work on my record. There's, he doesn't gain any more notches on his accolade belts mm-hmm. but my record. Um, he did it because he appreciates me as a human being. He did it because he believes in my artistry, right? And that moment was just like, sheesh, like, even like one of the guitar players, Dwayne Laring, he was like, we should call the album Full Circle, right? We, and I thought about it because... All the guys I toured with on that re- on the Lord Daigle tour ended up being in Nashville at the time I came there because of the pandemic. And we're all able to hang out again for the first time in like over a year and work on my record, you know, which was crazy. So Full Circle is like, for me, the cornerstone of the record. Like, you yeah. know what I mean? For me, it's, the, it's like, if Say It To Me is like my favorite song in terms of just like what I was able to deliver and where I was able to go into my heart, Full Circle is my favorite song in terms of if a song just came on on a playlist, that would be the song I'd want to hear. You know what I mean? Yeah. And obviously talking about the decision about what's going to be your, your final song on the album, and it's On Your Way, which seems to, you know, I think talk about the beauty of like waving goodbye, and it seems only right to have that as your final song. Was that song written after full circle and is that why then it seemed to make sense to put it there nope, nope. that was definitely before full circle ah. um it, it, it was it ended up it ended up being let's see mark oh maybe you're right <laughs> i'm all right yeah it was written after i thought full circle was written after that one so on your way was written after full circle um surprisingly I thought I wrote that before, but yeah, about a month after it. But I don't think it was intentional to to for sequencing or anything like that, or that it had to come out yeah. to full circle. It was more just like I remember when I wrote that song, and I was just. I, it's funny, like whenever I sit in weird places in my house, I write unique songs. Like my last record, Penny, I was like lying on the floor in the corner of my room where I never write. I usually write in the same spot. And I just had this different this different style of singing and playing, and it came out differently. So for On Your Way, I was like sitting in the stairwell to the back to the to the back entrance of my house, um, 
and I was just playing, I guess maybe the way the reverb was going, and I wrote a and then and then I was just like, ooh, this is a good one. Um, but it was just like it was just like I just knew it's not like this song, but good riddance by uh uh Green Day. Great. Oh, all right, yeah, yeah. Not, it doesn't sound like that song, but in terms of just like this farewell this kind of like graduation of life kind of song. I, I knew that I wanted to feel like that. I just want, it's just, there's something about like saying goodbye to people on a positive note. Mm. You know what I mean? There's a lot of songs where we say goodbye to people on not positive notes or it's, it's heartache that comes with our, our breakup. Whereas this one, there's a little bit of heaviness to it, but it's just like, I want to see you in the good light. I want to like wishing somebody well is not something we do enough in music. We used to do that a lot back in the seventies where there's music where you just, you just want to wish somebody well and just like, you know, chairs, like, you know what I mean? That's, that's how I felt this song. So it just ended up naturally. I don't know. Let's see out of, out of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 sequences on your way was the final song on three of them. Yeah. <laughs> Which is a lot. Yeah. <laughs> It's the most final song. And Lift Me Again was also the final song on a couple of them. So, ah. yeah. Anyhow. <laughs> so, so yeah. we've obviously gone through track by track. And just some, not quick fire, but just some questions just overall about the album. Which song would you say came together the quickest and which took the longest? Ooh. Quickest would be, well, the longest I could say with, without question was Until You. Mm-hmm. Right, because I I think I started writing that in 2017, right? And uh, let's see, I'll pull it up. Yep, July 21st, 2017. And it, wow. it, I probably shouldn't say this. It used to be called, it's so dumb, I Want to Go Outside, right? <laughs> and I don't think that was the title of the song that it would have ended up being. Yeah. It, it, was, it was just the first, the mumble lyric I said, which is kind of funny, like during the pandemic saying, I want to go outside, right? Because we're all locked down. <laughs> And then the title turned into Streamline. I shouldn't say all this stuff. People are like, what is happening? <laughs> and then in 2019, I revisited the song. And I was like, okay, I love this melody. I need to figure out what the heck this song is about and how I'm going to make it a song. I knew, it was, I knew what it was about. You know, it was always about my relationship with my spouse, my wife. Yeah. But then I figured it out until you it became, ooh. So that was the longest in terms of the first iteration of Lyric. And I think the shortest one, Danger, actually, surprisingly. Ah. Yeah, Danger, I wrote that in one day. I wrote that just one sitting. I just like dreamt it that morning. And the next day, I wrote the whole thing. And the only thing I probably went back to tweak was the, the mother's name mm-hmm. and the, the, uh, that lyric where I say shot. But like, yeah, this one was like pretty fast. Like it was just, and then obviously I had some like revisions over, the, over time. But in terms of just like getting the, the beginning to end, Danger or say it to me, probably. Do you have a favorite lyric off the album? Yeah, it, it, it's on Prospect. It's my favorite lyric. It's one of my favorite lyrics. It's, it's a trip how someone you never knew could be buried in your DNA, mm. right? That lyric is, uh, to me, just like, it brings me back to when I used to rap. I used to rap back in the day. It's just smart. Like, it's just when I wrote it, when I wrote it, I was like, bars that's bars like i don't know if yeah. you, it, you know like that's like that's that's a great bar um and then another one would be fighting teardrops mama's intuition fighting back as she cried right i think that's a great line in terms of imagery you're fighting teardrops but your intuition is fighting back so you you know like as a songwriter it's just it creates this imagery of like she's crying without saying she's crying you yeah. Know I mean? like, yeah 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 it gives you more like tug and more tension in that one. But I think my favorite lyric of all time is none of all. My, my favorite lyric ever is, um, no, nah, I don't know about ever. I'd have to, I'd have to look it on my songs, but like <laughs> the prospect line, it's just like, it's a trip house. Somebody you never know can be buried in your DNA. Like that's to me that the idea of that, you can do a whole like Ted talk on it. <laughs> do you guys have Ted talk out there? No. What is that? It's where like the, the intelligent, the thought leaders, TEDx, you never heard of TEDx? No. The thought leaders of society go, and they do these talks about stuff, but you could do like a whole like seminar lecture on it and just talk about mm. like, you know, I'll say a quick thing. I don't know, like I'm rambling a bit, but 
the idea of like butterflies, monarch butterflies will fly from the North, North America to South America. And then they'll fly this long trek and then they lay their eggs. And the ones that flew there, they died in South America. And then the ones that are, are hatched, however you want to say it, right? I don't know if butterflies hatch. They fly all the way back knowing the way without following the people that came. Yeah, there. that's crazy. Right. So like the idea and that I think prospect was informed by that idea that like we could code things into our DNA, mm-hmm. right? That positive or negative, and I'll give you a, that's a beautiful, a positive example. A negative example is my father smoked cigarettes prior to me being born, leading into me being born. My wife's father smoked cigarettes. And this is like when they had advertisements for cigarettes on, on TV and like, it was cool and mo- in TV shows and like you were able to smoke and music videos and in venues you were able to smoke. So the idea of not smoking indoors didn't exist. Her father smoked, my father smoked. I have severe allergies. I have severe asthma. She has allergies like crazy. My son now, I don't smoke. My wife doesn't smoke. Now my son has severe allergies, like extremely severe because he inherited that from us. So things like that. So I've, I'm big a strong proponent. Like if you're procreating on this planet, <laughs> right yeah. think about your mind state when you're doing that think about like it's hard to think about these things because we just do it like we just like we just yeah. you know we just it's not hard to create a child technically right yeah uh, it's not hard to create one it's hard to deliver one but it's not hard to create like incept one right yeah. um but what if the emotions the thoughts the feelings the health concerns you have are being programmed into that seed so if you're in a positive state or if you're in a negative state when you conceive men and women, does all that coding go into the child? It's heavy stuff when you think about it, but I believe it's absolutely true. And I think if we, if we were able to have like a genome map mapping, I'm going really deep on this, of our own genetic makeup when we produce a child, our spouse's genetic makeup when we produce a child, and then compare it to the genetic makeup of that child what would it tell us? Yeah. You know I mean? Like, I feel like with my four children, I can look at their lives to a degree, look at their personalities and understand what my mind state was, where I was in life, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, physically, even when we produced them. When we create, does that make any sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that totally does. That's why that line is so powerful to me because it makes me think about all that stuff. You could build the whole science around it. So that's why I love it. And one other like quick fire question. What song are you most looking forward to playing live or in front of an audience? Oh, that's a good question. Ooh, I think you're thinking. <laughs> <laughs> it depends on in what format. You know what I mean? Like, Ooh, okay. Right. It's, it's, it's like, I've, I've played like danger already until you're ready. You yeah. I mean? Like acoustic sets kind of. As yeah. In, stripped back. And I yeah. Yeah. You know, but, with a full band, it would be great to like fulfill that dream at Massey Hall with my band and play Danger. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, there you but go. Full circle. I would just love to hear the audience sing that with me too. Like, yeah, you know, there and then in the right setting. I think all of them, man. I, I look yeah. forward to the right? and like, and then like hearing the whole audience howl, cool of the day. Oh, like mm-hmm. that's that would, that's gonna be fun. Or at like. I don't know, like, like, yeah, all of them, but like to really do a performance of it, like to really get a, a performance, I would say, say it to me, if I can go on stage and perform with like, and just pour my heart up, that would, that would be cathartic for me. So. And so to finish with, so this is a final game. And um, interestingly, you've already actually kind of like answered this question, which I didn't think you would, but it's called, what's the occasion? So I'm going to give you three occasions and you've got to pick one song for each occasion off your album. So... Oh. The first occasion is a wedding, which you kind of already oh, said. Yeah, full then, circle. Uh, you get so good wedding, dinner party, and a car road trip. Okay, so full circle is wedding. Full circle for wedding, yeah. So what time are we eating dinner at? <laughs> I'm thinking like 6 p.m. You've got, you can have friends, family. It's like an early dinner, which you know is going to like lead to maybe like. I, I will say for dinner, Prospect because it has that cool Sade vibe. Mm-hmm. Um, for dinner, Prospect, yeah, I would say that. Nice. And road, um, road trip is until you. 
Nice. Yeah, definitely. Road trip. Yeah. On on your way, it could be a road trip, but it's not like the type of road trip that yeah. is. Yeah. It's it's more of a sad road trip. So until you. Want <laughs> an uplifting road trip song. Echo could be a road trip too, but I, I would, my first intake is until you. Yeah. Nice. Well, thank you so much, I. We have definitely uncovered Prospect. Good luck with, you know, everything else. And hopefully what's, what are the plans for the future tours? You're doing tours in Canada, right? Yeah, we do some show. Not tours completely, but we started the tour in February. Yeah. Um, Canada US tour, so North American tour. Amazing. And then yeah, so we'll do some small shows um in the meantime, but the main tour is in uh February. Amazing. Well hopefully I'll get a chance to to see in the UK very, very soon. But um I love the album. It's brilliant and uh, you must be super, super proud because it is yeah. it's a beautiful album. So congratulations. Thank you so much. Cheers. Take care, take care.